When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 86 of Talk is Cheap. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media as the first wave of free agency is over. We're into the second wave now, and the Giants were busy. Uh, really, as soon as we wrapped up last week's podcast with our plans for what the Giants should do, they went out there and landed Brandon Marshall, one of the biggest names on the open market and really the first domino, I think, to kind of fall throughout all of NFL free agency. They bring in Rhett Ellison. They bring in DJ Fluker. So the Giants have made some moves here to improve their offense. We'll also talk about what's next. James, we'll start with you. Let's start with the big name and the guy that everyone was talking about last week, and, and now we can kind of digest it and kind of figure out how he's going to fit in with the New York Giants. Brandon Marshall on a two-year, $12 million deal. What was your first thought when it happened? My first thought was I really couldn't believe it actually happened. I mean, we talked about it. Uh, I think – I went back in our archives. I think the first time Dan, – Dan and I wrote about the possibility several times. I think the first time we mentioned it was in a mailbag, and I, I forget the, the, the person who asked the question on Twitter off the top of my head, but – I will find their name. I'm going to tweet it out later on. Thank you for, for starting that. You know, you started it. Um, I thought it was a great idea for the Giants. I thought it made a ton of sense. I just – it just never seemed like it was a totally – it just seemed like it was too good to be true. And so I said on the podcast uh, when we taped it last week, you know, it's – I don't know if it's going to happen. You know, it might not be – but, hey, it happened. You know, obviously – Brandon Marshall had to take a significant amount less than the market probably was dictating for him now that you've seen the other salaries. But, you know, he's been very clear. You know, it's kind of – I kind of learned what the, what the Jets guys are like. Brandon, you know, Brandon's everywhere it seems. You know, every time you, you, you watch him on Good Morning Football, then you realize he's on Mike and Mike and stuff like that. He's a, he's a big – he's a star, and I think that it's a move that makes a lot of on-field sense for the Giants, and I think it also makes some off-field sense. It's going to be really fascinating, you know. The Giants, they had a lot of star power last year, and I feel like they have even more now with Brandon Marshall. Uh, so it's not something I ever thought was going to happen. This kind of seemed too good to be true, but it has happened. I think that, you know, obviously the Giants probably to give a little, Marshall to give a little, but here they are, and I think the Giants made a, a major move, big move for Jerry Reese bringing in Brandon Marshall. It was, and now the Giants sit back and you look at that wide receiver depth chart, and I mean it is as you know as packed and as good as any you'll see in the NFL. Odell Beckham, Brandon Marshall, and Sterling Shepard. Dan, I remember last week you were talking up the possibility and the idea of this, and kind 
kind of just saying how good it could look if it did come together. And now it's real. I mean, this is really the Giants' depth chart at wide receiver. It's it's pretty amazing to look at. We, we'll see in September if it works out on the field. But on paper, it's pretty dynamic. Yeah, and I was definitely someone who said on-field would be a great fit, and I thought off-field it wouldn't be for two reasons. Uh, chiefly, it was financial. I just didn't think uh, a player of Brandon Marshall's caliber who was due to make $7.5 million from the Jets ask for his release from there is then going to go and take, you know, I wouldn't say a fraction of that, but definitely a, a pay cut. Uh, so I just didn't think in this market that that would happen, especially uh, when you see some of what the other receivers are getting. Pierre Garçon's making $15 million next year. I mean, that's, uh, you know, a player who's not as good as Brandon Marshall uh, making, you know, more money in one year than the Marshall's due to making two. So it just didn't seem like it would work um, from a financial standpoint. So uh, tip your hat to Marshall for kind of being one of these guys who actually follows through on, on trying to go and win because uh, he could have stayed in the Jets and, and collected a $7.5 million. Uh, they even wanted to extend him, I believe. So uh, certainly follow through on, you know, wanting to win. And I know a lot of people said, oh, well, he just wants to be on Showtime. We'll see on that because he basically said he's not going to be, uh, you know, a weekly correspondent uh, on that Inside the NFL show. He didn't fully close, though. He was, he, he was a little evasive exactly what that means. But the bottom line is he didn't do this deal just so he could be on Showtime, it sounds like. If anything, he's going to do less Showtime. Uh, so all that stuff, it, you know, is great. And obviously, you know, kudos to Reese for, for closing the deal, though, uh, you know, it's pretty tough to, to turn down when a – a Pro Bowl receiver wants to join your team for short money. I think any GM can close that deal. Uh, I still have a little bit of a question. He has said everything you want to hear, um, you know, these first couple of days. And, and as James said, he's been everywhere. It's still it's a lot easier to say, hey, I'm fine with being the number two or even the co-number two with Sterling Shepard. It's easy to say that on, on March 13th. Let's see in week six when there's those games when Odell has 16 targets, Shepard has six, and Marshall has two. Now, maybe he will totally accept that. Maybe he's secure enough. I mean, the guy's career is phenomenal. I mean, Darius Slater wrote something on our site that he's basically in a position where he can set himself up for the Hall of Fame. And when you really look at the numbers, it's hard to debate that. Uh, so maybe he is secure enough, really does just want to win. Uh, he definitely does seem to understand that Odell is the number one guy. But I still want to see it, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, that a guy with, with his, you know, track record is going to be totally content with being the number two, sometimes number three, maybe the number four option in some games. Uh, really hasn't been something he's done in his career. And and then the personality fitting in the locker room, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, he, he says the right things, that he'll be good with the media. I know obviously he's rubbed players wrong pretty much every stop he's been at. Has a relationship with Odell. I think that's that's key. Uh, it's not you're not kind of throwing in two unknowns there. They, they seem to get along. So I think that goes a long way. But uh, on paper, phenomenal signing. Uh, you know, unless it totally blows up, I still think it's a great signing, even if it doesn't work out exactly. You know, as, as you know, best case scenario, just because to get a talented player like him for that type of money, you really can't uh, go wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's he's been and he really I read Daryl's piece and I had thought about this you know, two years ago during his, you know, the last big year Brandon Marshall had that. I mean, you look at his numbers. I mean, he's he's on the path to the Hall of Fame, if not, you know, knocking on the door already before he gets to the Giants, before he plays with the best quarterback he's probably ever played with, uh, with Eli Manning, before he goes to a team that can actually make the playoffs, something he's ever done. The one thing, though, and look, you could say this is the Jets last year. You could say maybe it's a little bit of Marshall. His numbers did drop off precipitously from two years ago when he was Brandon Marshall to last year where he was you know, much less than the normal Brandon Marshall. James, we're talking about a receiver here. I think I saw the graphic last week when he signed. He has the most catches in the NFL since 2007. So it's been a decade where Brandon Marshall has been more productive than anyone. What kind of player do we think the Giants are getting here? Is he still 
the guy he was two years ago? Is he what he was last year? Something in between? What do you think Giants fans should expect? I think, look, you know, when you say the stats dropped off, they're true. I knew, Obviously, Brandon was banged up last year with the Jets. But, and I wrote this when they signed him. If you take those stats that Brandon Marshall had when he you know, was playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Bryce Petty and Geno Smith, he might be playing with Geno Smith again someday. We'll see. And you take the fact that he was injured. I mean, those numbers were still better than what the Giants got out of Victor Cruz on the outside last year. And they were relatively comparable to what they got out of Ruben Randall in 2015. Obviously, Brandon, I think, is a much better player than Ruben Randall. But the Giants offense was a lot more efficient, you have to admit, in 2015 with Randall on the outside than it was with Cruz on the outside, which I think this speaks more to the fact that Cruz was kind of square peg, round hole. You know, he's a slot receiver who was trying to play on the outside. I think the Giants are getting a good player in Brandon Marshall. He's just a year removed from monster season. Eli is the best quarterback he's played with in his career. I just think it's a really good move for the Giants. And even if Brandon Marshall gives them the numbers he gave the Jets in 2016, I do think that is a step up, and that's going to improve the offense just simply because of the type of player Brandon Marshall is, the element he brings to the offense. Real quick, I looked it up. A guy named Dan at DC Brew 10, February 10th, 2017, 8.52 p.m. He tweeted me for a mailbag asking, would the Giants have interest in Marshall as the third wide receiver if the Jets release him? Then we have the mailbag on February. So, yeah, go follow DC Brutan, Giants fans. He brought Brandon Marshall to East Rutherford. <laughs> Give him the talk is cheap bump. I'll throw one thing in, actually. Marshall was ahead of him because he's, I mean, again, as James said, he's been everywhere and he's never, he always provides an incredible anecdote or something interesting. And he said, as soon as the season ended, I, you know, I'm sure most Giants fans have probably heard this by now. I think he said it a few different places, but he sat down and made a list of all the teams. This is back in January. And, of course, you know, the, the moral of the story was that the Giants were number one on that list. And I think he said the Patriots and the Seahawks and the Steelers maybe on that, that same tier or a line below. But he was thinking about it back in January. And I know he had another story where he, he said that he ran into Archie Manning. I don't mean James, maybe you can fill in the blanks. I think it was at the Super Bowl in a bathroom or something like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> the bottom line is Brandon has been thinking about this as soon as the season ended. So it, it really seems like it was meant to be. It does. And for the Giants, I mean, it's it's a match made you know, in heaven if everything goes well, right? And on paper, it seems great. Before we get to the other moves the Giants made here and how they're trying to augment this offense, and Brandon Marshall's the big name. The last thing, I, James, with this, your thoughts, I want to get both of your thoughts on this. Everyone has kind of looked at it from, I think, at first, the, the Marshall angle, right? Like, how will he accept his role because this is Odell Beckham's wide receiver room. He's the best wide receiver, all that kind of stuff. And people have wondered, would they butt heads? Could they? Do you give any thought to maybe Marshall helping Odell move along in his career and, and become, well, continue to become a great receiver? I mean, Marshall's dealt with a lot, you know, on and off the field. He's dealt with being in the spotlight. He's been the most productive receiver in the NFL for a decade. Do you think it could actually go the other way, James, that maybe he could actually help Odell Beckham? I definitely think he could help Odell Beckham. I mean, Brandon is a guy who he obviously look Marshall early in his career. You know, there's all kinds of stories, all kinds of off-field issues, but it seems that you know since he got to New York with the Jets, everything's kind of turned around. Uh, I know that there were some issues uh, with the Jets last year in their locker room, but it never really seemed like it was Brandon Marshall who was disrupting. It just seemed like it was just a bad team. And a you know bad environment you know because the Jets were such a train wreck. I definitely think Marshall could help. I mean he he's a guy who 
has made it very clear that you know, he understands where Odell is. You know, you're, you're young, the big start, you have the issues, you got to mature. Um, I just think the key for them is going to be, you know, obviously Brandon Marshall has to. I mean, obviously everyone kind of has to strike a, a fine line with Odell. I, mean, I think this is a major year in Odell's career. They, you know, he's they had the first three years. Jerry Reese kind of drew the line in the sand at the end of the season. You know, fans keep on talking about, oh, you know, they got to extend Odell. They got to do this. They got to do that. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm sure. Obviously, Odell Beckham is in the Giants' future long term. Obviously, they're going to pick up his fifth year option. But I don't think you can go and say, oh, we got to get this extension done now because I just think it would kind of ring hollow that, that Jerry Reese kind of drew that line in the sand and basically said, you know, enough is enough, time to grow up. And then you would hand him a, a big deal without him playing a single game and kind of proving that he's gotten the message. So I think it's a crucial year for Beckham in his career. And I think that having Marshall can help. But as Dan said, there's always been kind of that lingering, you know, until we actually see it happen and everything work out fine, people are going to have doubt. And that's because, you know, of the, you know, the various, you know, past factors and all this. But Look, I don't think the Giants would have brought Brandon Marshall in if they weren't 100% confident that this is going to work. Dan, how do you think it affects Odell? You know, and and we you, know, you mentioned earlier how Marshall might react, but how about Odell? You think he could be- actually benefit from this, or or do you think there could be a, a negative aspect to having Marshall with him? Uh, I'll stop by saying I think again Marshall's saying all the right things. I like the way he put it that you know I'm going to be in the room and those guys, those younger guys, can kind of just take from me organically. Organically was kind of his word of the day, but he's not going in saying, "Yeah, I'm going to be the big brother and I'm going to tell him this and that." Because I don't know if Odell would receive that very well. Because again, these are two guys with huge egos. Uh, but I think the fact that Marshall's going in, kind of understanding. Listen, I've been through it all, and. Odell is smart enough that he can pick on that if he wants to, but I'm not going to go in and be overbearing because obviously that can be annoying. And, you know, you're a grown man. You don't need someone kind of being your parent. And, and the good thing I think that, that speaks to that, which I kind of touched on earlier, is they have a relationship. According to Marshall, he was counseling Odell last year uh, when things were really hitting the fan with, uh, you know, all the, the kicking net and, the you know, all that stuff. When, when things were really at its fever pitch. He and Marshall were in contact back then. So the fact that Odell was proactively reaching out to a guy who's not even on his team, I would think that when they are together, Odell is going to be receptive. And, and again, as you guys have mentioned, Marshall's been through it all. So he can certainly uh, relate to a lot of what Odell's going through. Um, so I think that's a positive. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's, it's on Odell. I mean, you know, like there was a talk, oh, Victor Cruz says he would have prevented the Josh Norman thing. Well, then, jo- then Victor Cruz ends up, you know, really doing nothing when everything was going crazy with Odell last year, and then he's on the boat in Miami. And then now Marshall's saying, if I was here, the Miami trip wouldn't happen. That's all great. It's, it's a good soundbite. Uh, Odell's a grown man. He is, you know, it's all on him, and, and that's what it comes down to. It's nice you can have good role models, and maybe Marshall can be that. But to expect someone to come in and so- somehow change who Odell is and, and what he's been and what he's become, I mean, that's only going to come from Odell. And Brandon Marshall, uh, you, know, he, you know, he can't change how Odell acts, how Odell reacts. So, again, maybe he'll be a good role model because Brandon Marshall can say, listen, I've been there, I've done that, and, and now look, I've kind of gained some maturity. And so it's just kind of maybe a good thing to follow. But I don't think Brandon Marshall can actively really impact Odell's behavior. It's going to be on Odell to, to do that. 
Yeah, and Marshall, look, he has experience in this. This is the fourth time now he's changed teams. And here's the good news for Giants fans listening to this episode. Every single time so far in Marshall's career, and I understand he's getting older now, so this might not continue, but every single time he changes teams from Denver to Miami, Miami to Chicago, Chicago to the Jets, he's had a big year, his first stop in the new place. 86 for 1,014, first year with Miami. 118 catches, 1,500 yards, first year with Chicago. And then two years ago, 109 catches, 1,502 yards, and 14 touchdowns first year with the Jets. So Brandon Marshall has experience doing this, fitting in and playing well his first year. So and that's the big one. That's the first move the Giants made. Let's talk about the other two ones, um, the offensive moves the Giants made here. James Rhett Ellison. Uh, that one, I think, caught some Giants fans by surprise. Not a household name, um, but he's a guy – you know, look at the contract, four years, $18 million. It, it seems like the Giants believe this guy is going to be a big help to their team. What do you think about the move, and, and how do you think he's going to be used here? I think it's a good move. Obviously, the contract details sort of came out Monday, most of them. It looks like it's probably basically – you know, one of the things fans have to realize, when you hear these contracts and people go, oh, my God, how can they pay that? Usually, it's it's not – like they're committing four years. I mean, it looks like Ellison Seal is pretty much a two-year deal that they would be able to kind of move out of. You know, there's a lot of his salary is pretty big the final two years, and who knows if the Giants will end up paying that. But no, I mean, I think it's it's a move they had to make. Obviously, they released Will Johnson that they clearly were not comfortable with where he was physically, and maybe they just think Ellison's a better player. Uh, he's a guy who can play tight end, play fullback, play H back. You know, seems like he's. A, a really good guy off the field. You know, everything, you know, we had a really good conference call with them. Uh, they needed that presence. You know, one of the things the Giants, they didn't have a fullback presence last year. They really didn't have a blocking tight end presence. At the end of the season, you know, on Baggy Day, I was talking with one of the offensive starters who basically told me, you know, losing Will Johnson was, was a major impact to this team, in his opinion, because he said, we didn't lose a player. We, we lost a position. We didn't have a fullback. And that was something that could have, you know, I think hamstrung to an extent what the Giants could do. Obviously, they didn't have a guy to kind of go give Eric Flowers help or Bobby Hart help on the edges. So I think Elson's uh, is a good signing. He's a quality player. Uh, he was like, sort of like Will Johnson a year ago when they signed him from the Steelers. He was a guy who was productive Minnesota, but the Vikings didn't necessarily use him a whole heck of a lot, or as much as they probably could have. I think the Giants will get a lot more use out of Ellison. I know the numbers seem a little high, but compared to what guys around the league got, it's it's pretty much on par, and I think it's a contract. If the Giants have to wiggle out of it, they can probably do so after two years. Dan, I remember last year us talking a lot about how predictable the Giants' offense was, and it, I mean, it clearly was. I mean, we knew the formation, the plays, it was like the same thing every time. Do you think a guy like Ellison could help them be more versatile just in maybe the way they line up or what they can run just because of the different things he can do? you think that's part of the reason he's here now? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I, I think we all probably uh, undersold how, how big the loss was of Will Johnson uh, last training camp. At the same time, you can easily turn around and say, well, uh, if he was going to be that big a part of your your scheme, why didn't you go pick somebody up in you know the 17 weeks that they could have done so? So I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, obviously McAdoo doesn't give much, and then after the season, uh, Jerry Reese downplayed a fullback in this offense, and then you go out and spend you know eight million guaranteed on a guy. Uh, it's going to be interesting though. I think the key that Ellison has that that Johnson has as well is versatility. He's not going to be a straight you know I formation fullback. You can you can put him there. You can kind of flex him out as an H back. Put him on the line as a tight end. I think that's the key but uh, you know to your point 
I think it maybe gives them a little flexibility that you don't have to be in 11 personnel every single snap now because you can maybe play a tight end of the line, have Ellison as an H-back, uh, play just more two tight end sets. Uh, although then that's kind of funny because now you have Marshall. You're probably going to want to be in 11 personnel as much as you were last season because that really is your three best weapons where I thought they were kind of kind of fooling themselves to think that Cruz was this big weapon they couldn't get off the field last year. Uh, Marshall probably is going to be that type of a weapon. So I think options are good, and I think that was one of the biggest problems this offense didn't have last year was no flexibility, no versatility. It was, you know, this is what we're going to do every snap. Ellison is a nice guy uh, to, to be able to mix things up. At the same time, it's funny that, you know, Fans are great. You know, you can get excited. No one's ever heard of this guy. Let's be honest. I mean, he was a blocking tight end back in Minnesota. Seems like a pretty good amount of money when you consider, uh, you know, a top end tight end like Martellus Bennett got what I think twenty one million for three years. So, um, let, I, I'm, you know, I guess I'm kind of the Debbie Downer today. Let's see what his impact is. I mean, he didn't play a ton of snaps in Minnesota, so. Uh, if he's going to have a similar role here, which probably he won't be. They wouldn't be paying him if he's going to play you know, a quarter of the snaps. But uh, let's see how much they're going to use him before getting too excited. Because, again, I do think they'll be in 11 personnel a lot. So unless he's going to be the every down tight end, seems like it's a little bit of a steep price tag for him. But um, you know, I, d- I do think he's a useful guy, and it's not my money. So if he can uh, help the offense, uh, I'm sure it'll be looked at as a good addition. Well, I think the question is, when it comes to McAdoo and, and the offensive predictability, and what Giants fans, I, I guess, who are trying to be optimistic would lean on is, was McAdoo's offense so predictable because that's who he is? Or was it predictable because he basically felt his personnel tied his hands? I think that's what it's really going to come down to. Right, you know, if that- Will Johnson was there, would they have been, you know, all kinds of – Was it, remember, like – when they signed Will Johnson, and look, I understand Ben. Ben basically doesn't like it. You know, if I said, "Hey Ben, that looks like your shirt's green," he he wouldn't. He'd say, "No, it's not," or something, because <laughs> he thinks everything's like some some state secret that you know somehow that the Cowboys are going to beat the Giants in week two <laughs> because Ben tells me that what position Will Johnson is. Um, yeah, I just think maybe if they had had Will Johnson, they would have had all this creativity and, and they would have used him in different ways. And I don't know. You know, maybe if. Not to hammer on Victor Cruz, but maybe if they actually had a, a more of a, a, a prototypical outside wide receiver, they would have done things differently. I don't know. I just think that there's a chance, I'm not guaranteeing it, that this Giants offense will be a little bit more creative in 2017 because McAdoo might have more pieces. For all we know, he just felt his hands were tied with what he had, and that was the best way to go. Obviously, it didn't work, and I still think that. At some point, they should have said, okay, this is clearly not working. we got to try to figure out to do something. And there were points that they did something, and then they basically just went away from them. But I think that's maybe the hope for Giants fans is that Ellison and Brandon Marshall and whatever they get in the draft might kind of open things up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't be less creative. I mean, they have that going for them. So, yeah, I mean, hey, I think he's a good piece. But, again, I just go back to if, if he's going to fill this role that, that Will Johnson was supposed to Bill last year when Will Johnson got hurt in the first week of the preseason first week of yeah the first week of the preseason they should have gone out and got somebody then if it was that vital of a piece I mean it's not that uh, it's not that these guys are growing on trees but it's also not a guy who you know if you lost Odell that's gonna impact the offense in a way you can't really compensate no, I, for I totally agree I mean I think also Will Johnson we didn't really ever see what they were gonna do with Will Johnson right. as he got hurt in the first preseason game but I mean not to go too deep in the weeds but they did have a situation where you know Obviously, Whitlock got hurt, although I, I didn't think Whitlock was going to make the team when he got hurt. He's not really a prototypical fullback and impact player. But you know, they also had that kind of like bing-bang 
boom week where they, they lost the Malik kid who, you know, and obviously Lacoste as well. Right. So I don't know. I think that's if you're a Giants fan who's trying to understand the move, I think maybe you're saying, OK, well, maybe they're going to do things differently because they have the pieces. I agree with Dan, though. I thought one of the biggest roster failings the Giants made was not going out and getting a fullback. I mean, there are fullbacks out there. You know, there are guys, you know, obviously that you can get someone. So I thought they should have found someone. And that was an oversight by them that I think really hurt them. Right. And look, maybe they, you know, they reconsidered and said this is a really important thing because it really did hamstring us last year. We thought we could get by without replacing Will Johnson. And that's why they go and spend money on, on Red Ellison. So uh, maybe it's uh, they did some self-assessment and realized, listen, we were in 11 personnel too much. We do need that guy. Let's go out and get who, you know, they obviously determined was the best guy in the market to, to fill that role. Yeah, well, now I think the onus will move towards Ben McAdoo with this, right? Because they give him this guy, and assuming he stays healthy, and all these players stay, they stay healthy to start the season, you know, they're giving him an extra chess piece here. And if he's playing checkers again, and we're talking about, you know, 11 personnel in the same formation over and over again for the first month of the season, then we'll probably go back to that conversation and, and what Ben McAdoo is doing. Now, we all know his offense, and Eli Manning in particular, will, will be better if the offensive line in front of Eli Manning is better, specifically in pass protection. So the third move the Giants made in free agency was bringing in DJ Fluker, a former first-round pick of the Chargers in the 2013 draft. Has not been anything close to great or really good in the NFL, uh, but he's 26 years old. He was a first-round pick. So I think the first takeaway is there's probably some upside there if he can find himself James, what did you think of the Fluker move as we were all waiting to see, like, what would the Giants do on the offensive line? And, and so far, this is our answer. I thought it was a good move for the Giants. Obviously, it, it's kind of a you know, low-risk, high-reward move. I was surprised that they were able to get Fluker at only $3 million. I thought he'd be a little bit higher given the, the salaries around the league, you know, the fact that a guy like Luke Jockel, you know, albeit more of a tackle guy, it seems like Fluker's going to be more of a guard candidate, got $8 million from the Seahawks. But it, it's a flyer. You know, if, if it works out, great. If it doesn't, you move on. The Giants had to do something with the offensive line. They, they had to create more competition in there. And obviously they weren't going to – once you decide, I think, that you're not going after Andrew Whitworth, it's just not worth it. And the Giants didn't have the cap space to go play at the top of the market. So you're going to try to make some second-tier signings, some third-tier signings, maybe hit the draft and, and kind of build this offensive line out. I just think Giants fans have to realize that there's a very good chance that Eric Flowers is going to stay at left tackle. That's not something they want. Uh, Personally, that's not the move I would make, but I don't run the Giants, so it looks like they're going to kind of try to reinforce from within and, and maybe kind of give Flowers a little bit more help but leave him on the left side. Takeaways from DJ Fluker, Dan, a name that we didn't really talk about much. We knew the Giants would be you know, sniffing around the offensive line market to try to see if they could find someone that would fit them at the right cost. For now, Fluker seems to be that guy. Yeah, I mean, he was certainly on that next tier when free agency opened. Those top guys, you said, oh, maybe the Giants would kick the tires on. And then you saw the contracts they got. And you said, all right, well, I understand why the Giants didn't really uh, you know, get in too deep with some of those guys. They just didn't have uh, the cap space to be players. And uh, I think it's it's low risk, but potentially low reward. I mean, obviously, it could be high reward. But I mean, this is a guy who was a first-round pick four years ago, and the Chargers just you know brushed their hands and, and you know, bid him adieu after four years. That doesn't happen a heck of a lot. I mean, it maybe could happen with Eric Flowers and in two years that kind of tells you probably what fluker was looked at uh at the same time 
Uh, he, he does have the size. He does have the pedigree, the, you know, the old change of scenery thing. He's still young. Maybe it does click. And, and of course, when you're only giving a guy $3 million for one year, uh, even if it's if he's a disaster, it's not really going to hurt your team, obviously, long term and really not even in the short term. It's, it's pretty pretty much chump change if you're talking about starting an offensive lineman. Uh, but the question is, you can't start cap space at, you know, left tackle or right guard or if you need players. And they, they need to upgrade the talent. So I don't know that, you know, Fluker does anything significantly. Is he a significant upgrade than John Jerry or, or Marshall Newhouse, whatever spot he ends up taking? Uh, you know, that remains to be seen. So the fact that the market exploded and a lot of mediocre guys got paid, yeah, that's tough and, and definitely probably wise that the Giants stayed out of that. But if that's just what the market's going to be for offensive linemen, Again, you need talent. So unless you're putting it on the draft and at 23, I don't think there's anyone they're going to get who's going to be a step in day one upgrade, you know, by any stretch. So uh, if you're looking at more or less the same line with, with again, Fluker taking maybe John Jerry's spot or taking Bobby Hart's spot, I don't think you've significantly upgraded the biggest weakness. So um, it's a tough year to, to have holes in the offensive line and maybe they kicked themselves for not being more aggressive last year when they had more cap space and, and could have spent for one of these top guys. I don't know. Uh, they're, they're in a tough spot. Basically, they need Eric Flowers, the light to go on. Uh, he's a young guy going into his third year. And, you know, the, the pressure's on him. The spotlight's on him. They need it to click for him. Because if it does, I mean, then watch out. Because then you have a guy who could be a future left tackle. Problem is, there's just been no sign in his first two years he's going to be that guy. So you're kind of stuck with uh, piecemeal this line together on the right side right now kind of hoping that the additions of an Ellison and a Marshall just make the overall offense better, make the blocking better as far as Ellison, you know, can help these guys. At the end of the day, your right tackle has to line up against Vaughn Miller and block him. It's, you know, you can, you can help him as much as you want, but uh, you know, that's the task that these guys have. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this line comes together. I think Fluker was probably the best they could do with what they had to spend, what they're willing to spend. Um, but I, tough to get too excited about a guy who, like I said, was a first-round pick and, and his team you know, uh, said farewell for four years. They did, and he's gone now, and he's a New York Giant, and we'll see if he revives himself here. All right, guys, what do you think's next? Quick thought from each of you on what might be next for the Giants and free agency. We know Jonathan Hankins is still out there, and uh, the defensive tackle market is really outside of Brandon Williams, who got himself – uh, a deal reminiscent of Snacks Harrison last year. There's been a lot of like one-year deals and good players that might take one-year deals. What do we think happens with Hank? Is any chance he comes back? Uh, James, what do you think's next for the Giants here? That's a great question. I think it depends. There's so many kind of moving parts. I mean, obviously, you know, fans keep on asking, you know, why is JT Thomas still on the roster? Why is Dwayne Harris still on the roster? You know, Shane Vereen obviously has got a roster bonus coming up. I mean, I think it really depends. You know, it's tough to say because, you know, What's the Giants' approach? Are they still looking to add? You know, they, they have a little bit of cap space left. It seems like they have the least amount of cap space left in the league. When you kind of take the, what it is now with the Ellison deal factoring in, kind of tack on the Fluker deal, they obviously have ability to make room. But, you know, I, I think it depends on – I do think that, you know, obviously Keenan Robinson's a guy I'm sure they like to bring back. Maybe John Jerry. I do think there's, you know, a guy like Cody Sensiball that you know, he'd be a really solid fourth corner. Um, but then again, the Giants also may kind of feel like, all right, this is, we don't we want to do. We're good, you know. Let's just kind of work, look down the road and try to work on the JPP thing. With Hankins, to me, I would I, look. I think we've all been kind of surprised that not only Hankins but Don Terry Poe, uh, Benny Logan, those guys. I think everyone thought we we're going to get paid a lot of money really quickly once free agency started. It just hasn't happened. 
I would guess you know the longer Hankins goes unsigned, I would assume that the Giants' chances of bringing him back are better. But at the same time, I don't. Do the Giants really want to just bring Hankins back on a one-year deal and give him a chance to basically just leave next year? I don't know if that's something that's really in the Giants' best interest. I think you're kind of seeing, in my opinion, that. Maybe defensive tackle is going to become like a position like running back in the NFL where if you have a guy who's dominant on your own roster or a guy like Snacks or Aaron Donald or Indomitian Sue or Brandon Williams that kind of have a you know maybe best-in-the-league quality to them, yeah, you're going to go pay that guy. But other than that, I mean, maybe you're just going to draft and develop it and kind of repeat the cycle every four years. So I wonder if it's going to sort of become a devalued position. And honestly – you know, I, I never really felt – I felt like Hankins was kind of getting talked up like he was a, st- a superstar going into free agency. I think he's a good player, but I, I don't think he's a guy that I'm rushing out to give you know $9 million a year to and you know $25 million in guarantees. So, look, if the Giants can get Hankins on a cheap deal, I mean, I, I guess they could do that. But if I'm the Giants, having kind of been aggressive to try to re-sign him before free agency and him not taking it, you know, I, I'm. I don't want to bring him back unless I'm going to lock him down for a couple of years. He's only 24 years old. He'd make sense to the Giants in their kind of youth movement push, but I would not want to give Hankins a one-year deal. If I'm going to bring him back, I think it has to be a multi-year deal, and it's got to be at their price, given the way the markets worked. Dan, how about for you? What do you think's next, and, and what are you keeping your eye on as far as the Giants and, and the rest of the kind of the second tier of free agency? Uh, yeah, second tier is definitely the the key way to phrase it because I think you know you're at the point now where they've kind of spent what they had and. I think Keen Robinson's the big guy who's kind of hanging out there. I mean, we talk about not a lot of talk about Hankins, even less about Robinson. Not that that's unusual because he's a second-tier type guy and, and the big guy set the market, and those are obviously the top priorities. But uh, I would think they'd want to kind of get to work on him this week. Uh, JPP's looming. I, I kind of have a feeling that this is going to drag out now because if you didn't get it done by sort of that unofficial starter free agency deadline, what's the impetus now? And, you know, Unless they really get desperate to open some cap space, there's really no – reason for either side to budge at this point um i'm not saying it's going to go all the way to july 15th which is the deadline to make a long-term deal but there's nothing really to suggest that that's gonna uh come together you know super quickly here um but Hank is an interesting point. The longer he stays out here, the better I think it does bode for the Giants because I kind of disagree with James in the sense that I think if Hank signs a one-year deal, it's going to be a cheap one-year deal. I mean, he's, I don't, you know, if someone wants to give him $10 million for one year, I don't see what the upside of that would be for another team because he's 24. So if you like him enough to give him you know, a big contract for one year, why not try and sign him longer term? Obviously, the Giants can't do that because of their cap situation. So maybe it's a no-place-like-home situation where he says, listen, you know, I will come back, kind of bite the bullet, Take a take a short money deal for one year. I'll be 25 next year, and when I have a you know a better year this year, and maybe the market rebounds for for defensive tackles. Because like James said, it's really surprising uh, you know how soft that market's been for these top defensive tackles, and probably a little probably a little concerning. I think that's a big reason why things have been so quiet on the Hankins front because. When your camp goes into free agency expecting a certain number and you're not getting that from anybody, that makes you want to be a little quieter. You might not want to be uh, spreading the word to the media like, oh, yeah, he's coming in about 50% of what we thought he'd get. I mean, it just that's just human nature. So, uh, But I, I do think the longer he hangs out there, the, the more likely he comes back. At the same time, the Giants are just so uh, you know cash-strapped right now that someone you would think would be able to offer him a little bit more. So then it becomes, you know, what does he value? Just come back to the Giants on a one-year deal? Or is he cash in? That's, that's all questions we don't have the answer to. But yeah, the, to answer the overall question, I think it's just those second tier. You're, you're filling holes at this point, like a, like a Keenan Robinson would fill a hole. Backup quarterback. Need to probably add another offensive lineman. 
kicker. And we're kind of going down the the list, these are all positions you need to fill at some point, and uh, I think you know this is the week where, where those types of decisions get made. Well, what's what's short money for? I think I think that's a big question. Is that you've got Poe, you've got Hankins, you've got Benny Logan, kind of all out there, and it seems like it's kind of this you know who blinks first big dance. I think if one, one I, my guess is that once one of those guys does something, the other two will kind of follow. But I think that's a big question. Like, you know, what's short money for Hankins? I mean, you know, if, if Poe goes, I think Poe was visiting Indianapolis, and you know, there are some reports that they might be interested in giving him a, a multi-year deal. Well, if he gets a multi-year deal, and that might set a market where a guy like Hankins and, and Logan, if they want to do their one-year prove-it deal, but they're still going to be able to get, you know, I don't know, what do you, what do you think a good guess? Like six, seven, eight million? I mean, something uh-huh. like that. I mean, I don't know if the Giants can go that high with Hankins, so. Yeah, no, and that's, that's the thing. That's the question. I, I those three guys, one of those dominoes has to fall, and my guess is the other two would then follow quickly. Yeah, it's interesting because guys, have, younger guys, have been a little more inclined to take the prove it deals. Uh, you know, like you want to talk wide receivers. Obviously, Alshon Jeffrey signed a big prove it deal, but it's still a one year deal when everyone's expecting him to, to you know, sign a long term deal. And Terrell Pryor took, I would think most people would call that short money for a guy who had kind of the buzz he had. That going was into. a bad deal. Yeah, it was. But I think that's the only thing the Giants have is that maybe if Hankins is going to take a short-term deal, maybe you leave a little money on the table to stay where you're familiar. You know you can succeed here. You know, you know, just everything, the comfort here. And so maybe you take $3 million from the Giants instead of $5 million from, you know, the Raiders or Team X. I don't know. I mean, I, listen, I don't, I don't manage his bank account. I don't know what's important to him. The fact that he is so young, I'm thinking that's the only chance the Giants have. Because, yeah, if someone wants to get him $8 million for one year and approve a deal, well, then I think you just there's no chance they can compete with that. But it is interesting that he's lasted this long when uh, there was talk. I mean, I talked to people at the Combine, and they thought his market was really going to explode, and, and it clearly hasn't. So uh, I don't know. It's going to be some kind of gut checks going on in his camp. What is important to him? Does he just try and get the most guaranteed money on a longer-term deal that – uh, or does he bet on himself like a lot of guys seem to be doing and saying, hey, next year uh, I can really cash in? So that'll be very interesting to monitor. Maybe there'll be a little bit more uh, talk on that front this week. It will be. And we'll be monitoring all. A uh, last one for you guys. We'll, we'll look at the NFL free agency as a whole. Quick one from each of you. Just give me a either a trend, a story, or a sp- specific move that caught your eye that you found the, maybe the most interesting or head-scratching, whatever it is, like a big takeaway from free agency. I'll start with the Browns move. I mean, the Browns and the Osweiler deal, I, I just thought it was fascinating from every perspective. You know, the Texans obviously trying to clear out some space, maybe bring in Romo. We'll see if that happens maybe as people listen to this podcast. And then the Browns basically just using that cap space to bring in a pick. And I just keep looking at what they're doing. If the Browns have any idea how to draft – in three years, that team's going to be set up to be good for a long time. It's almost like an NBA move. So I found that uh, really fascinating. James, what, what stood out to you at the beginning of free agency? I think one – I wonder if – and this is just pure speculation. If the Patriots have some sort of idea of how much longer Tom Brady wants to play or something. Because it seems to me like they're going for 19-0. and 0. You know they're going like all in now, and I just it just seems very unpatriot like. I mean they gave Stephon Gilmore a tremendous amount of money. They make the tr- deal for Cooks. You know they still apparently m- try might try to trade Butler. Uh, it just seems to me like it's it. You know they make the Dwayne Allen trade. You know, they, it just seems to me like the Patriots are, are gunning for something, and I just wonder if. They know something that the rest of the league doesn't. I, the Browns thing obviously jumps out to me. I think the Eagles are, are going to be 
kind of much improved. I think the one-year deal. But for me, I just think that you're kind of seeing what positions are going to be valued and not valued kind of going forward in the league. And it seems to me that it's a market inefficiency maybe paying offensive linemen who, you know, because the various, you know, people keep on, we've had heard all the time with Flowers, you know, it's in young guys, the, the CBA is restrictive on developing offensive linemen. Well, maybe it's going to become kind of a market inefficiency to overpay for a proven lineman rather than develop your own. But to me, I think the defensive tackle thing has kind of been a big takeaway to me. It seems like that might be a position that is going to sort of become like the, the defensive version of running back where you're just going to churn through draft picks. You're not going to spend a lot of money. You know, you look at the running backs. I mean, all these big names are out there, but and Giants fans talk about, you know, does it really make sense for a team to go sign Eddie Lacy for four or five million dollars a year when they can just go draft a guy in the fifth round that probably give him eighty percent at least of what Lacy would give him? I don't know. So I think maybe defensive tackle is going to become the running back version on defense. Dan, what stood out to you? Uh, yeah, I'll just keep it to one of uh, offensive line. It tells you how important it is to draft these guys. And like James said, it's, it's tough to develop them. But once they hit the open market, it, it just explodes because it's so difficult to to find them. And when you do find them, you don't let good ones get on the market. So you need to, when you draft them early, you kind of need to draft them early because you've got to get the studs in there. You know, you're not going to turn a bunch of fifth rounders into pro bowlers. You have to you have to use your draft picks on them pretty often, I feel like. And you better be right because otherwise you end up in a DJ Fluker situation where you wasted, uh, you know, I think it was 11th overall pick. And four years later, you're back at square one where he, he certainly wasn't uh, what they were hoping for when they drafted him you know, at the Chargers. So I think that's the biggest thing. Because you see, again, all these mediocre late 20 offensive linemen or even early 30s getting paid. And that's scary because that's not how you want to build your team around aging offensive linemen who haven't been that great uh, you know, on their first contract. So drafting offensive linemen, uh, always a premium, even more so now because then at least you control their rights for four or five years, franchise tags, everything like that. And then you'd obviously rather lock up a guy who you know who's been in your system uh, is, is more of a known commodity. So to me, uh, just the offensive line market exploding the way it has uh, definitely uh, stresses the importance of, of identifying and drafting the right players at that position. There's a lot going on. It's, it's been a wild first, what? We're doing this on the fifth day of free agency. A lot more to come. Uh, we'll keep everyone, obviously, you guys on NJ.com and us with the podcast up to date with the Giants. We'll be back soon. We're going to start getting more into draft stuff, but whatever the Giants do with a second wave of free agency, we will touch on that in the next episode. James, as always, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Joe. And thank you, Dan. Yeah, Joe, this is my first time going through a free agency. So when do you sleep? Just trying to figure that out. Um, does yeah, it this have you week? Like any sleep <laughs> hey, it's, hey it's, all I got to say is 9.50 p.m. on Friday night, South Carolina, first NCAA tournament game, and God knows when. All right, so I'll be on the clock Friday night, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, you're, that's, on, that's, you're on call Friday night. This deal will be agreed upon, and I'll be right now while Cratch is doing God knows what watching the Gamecocks. Yeah, the Giants will probably do like 19 different things at 10, <laughs> 10 30 on Friday night as I'm sitting there waiting for South Carolina. 1973, guys. The Yikes. last time South Carolina won an NCAA tournament game. As James purposely ignores emails and phone calls on Friday night. <laughs> guys, uh, enjoy the tournament. Enjoy uh, maybe a little downtime as the Giants get a little quieter here with all the big moves, um, probably for now at least, uh, in the books. But you'll be on it, and we'll be talking about it. And everyone, thanks for listening to Episode 86 of Talk is Cheap right here on NJ.com.